Acts chapter 20, verse 17 to 35. Acts 20, verse 17 to 35. And the theme, Paul, a model leader. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we draw near again to the King of kings and Lord of lords, we bow in special need of grace, special need of your strength, Lord. Oh, please, would you open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds. You who possess the key to every human heart, please plant the word deep in us, shape us, fashion us, in the likeness of Jesus. Amen. When my middle daughter, or my youngest daughter, was three years old, I used to pray in the backyard of, the, of our house, or in our backyard, walking up and down on the lawn, my arms folded behind my back, and my head bowed, and I would talk to the Lord just muttering. And then my three-year-old daughter would walk next to me and look up and then imitate my every action. Little hands folded behind the back and the head bowed, slightly bowed, walking up and down, muttering as she would walk next to me. And in the same way children imitate their parents, we should imitate spiritual leaders who follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ, said the Apostle Paul. And this is what we find in Acts chapter 20, where Paul is a model leader for us to follow because he follows Christ. Verse 17 of Acts 20. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life as any value, of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock, all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, 
remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So first of all, we're going to look at Paul's constant life. And that's in verse 17 to 18, or you could call it Paul's consistent life. Uh, so in the early 1980s, there was an Australian potato farmer, uh, Cliff Young, 61 years old, and he won an ultra marathon, that is 875 kilometers of running. He won an ultra marathon in gumboots. <laughs> not, not a professional athlete, not even running properly, just shuffling. But what was the secret? How did he win it and break the record? This is how he did it. He ran day and night for five days. The other athletes, while they were sleeping, he kept on running. He didn't sleep for five days. Goodness. Go and check it on the internet. It sounds incredible, but it's true. He ran for five days. Not fast, but consistent and constant. And that's how the Apostle Paul was. That's what his life was like. Consistent living and constant obedience. So whatever he had learned from Jesus, he now wanted to teach the, to the Ephesian elders so that they could guide and lead God's congregation in Ephesus. And so that's why in verse 17, he's in Miletus, that's in southwest Turkey. Ephesus is the west coast of Turkey or close to the west coast, about 50 kilometers from Miletus. And now he says, please come to me in Miletus. I want to talk to you. I want to share with you. I think every older Christian should do that and especially every elder should do that we should do the same we should teach new christians younger christians what the lord has has taught us what we've learned from jesus and if you're a young christian here this morning you're a new christian you should spend much time with older christians so you can learn from them and that uh, that is what these Ephesian elders are now learning from the Apostle Paul. That's how they learned from the Apostle Paul. He spent much time with them and they, they spent time with him for three years. Constantly they saw the example of the Apostle Paul and they heard his teaching. Verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Verse 25, he said, I went about those among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom. So I lived among you. You saw my example. Verse 31, day and night for three years I didn't cease admonishing you or pleading with you. And if we want to do the same, Christians, we need to see one another often. We need to be in one another's company. Now there's, there's, there's a time and a place for pastors to spend many hours in study. Many hours studying the word of God. So they can teach it to others and teach it correctly. But there's also a place for us to be among the people. And for all of us to mingle. That's why we've got visitation teams in our church. That's why there's counseling 
if you've got issues. That's why there's one-on-one -on -one discipleship. That's why we've got prayer meetings so we can gather. That's why we visit one another in our homes and we invite one another for coffee or for dinner. Number two, Paul's humble service. Well, we learn from that. That's in verse 19. The church I grew up in, um, in the evening services we would have a time for testimonies uh, before the sermon. And one evening one of our church members got up, an old lady, and she says, you know, I want to just remind you that I live next to our pastor. He's my neighbor. And I can see his life. I watch his life closely. And I want to tell this congregation that our pastor is a humble man. And about three years ago, now this is many, many years after that lady said this. Three years ago, a, a friend of mine, he met this pastor. And he said the same thing. He said, wow, that's a humble guy. And Paul was like that. Paul served the Lord, verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility. Paul had a humble heart. Paul realized that as, that as pastors, as elders, we are not kings. We are slaves. We are servants. Uh, in the world it works like this, that the, the king or the boss or the president, he's got his thumb on the rest and he rules over them. But Jesus said, in my kingdom, it's not like that. You want to be the leader, you have to be the servant of all. You have to be the slave. Just like Jesus, who is our king, came to serve and not to be served. And Jesus, who came to give his life as a ransom for many. And then Paul also had a soft heart, a tender heart. He really cared for people. He served them with tears. He was really concerned for their spiritual well-being. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Verse 31, he said, day and night I did not cease to admonish you with tears. Every one of you with tears. Paul wept for these people. Paul even wept and shed tears for people who are lost, for the Jews who are lost. Romans 9 verse 2. He shed tears for backsliders in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 4. He shed tears even for false teachers. He wept because they are lost. In Philippians 3 verse 18, he wrote about them with tears. Those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. And I think also tears because of these Jews. Verse 19. Uh, Serve the Lord with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And in spite... In spite of the fact that the Jews persecuted him, he kept on serving the Lord. Do we serve like Paul did? Serve like the Apostle Paul? Humble servants, humble slaves of Christ. Or do we exalt ourselves? Because I'm a pastor. We exalt ourselves. I've got this office, I've got this position, I've got this title. Exalt ourselves because I know theology and I've got a Bible knowledge. Do we serve the Lord in spite of persecution? Or do we turn our backs and flee because people don't like us? We're not popular with some. Do we serve the Lord with tears? Tears because some people are backslidden. Tears because many are lost. Or do we just condemn them? Now I need to say that I feel very often my heart is still hard. I don't serve the Lord with tears like Paul did. I think I need more of that. Tears like Jesus had weeping over Jerusalem. Number three, Paul's, Paul's teaching. Verse 20 and 21. And then verse 25 to 27. John MacArthur says that he heard his father preach through many 
passages of Scripture uh, and through many books of the Bible. And MacArthur started following his father's example. And that's what Paul says. He says, I want you to follow my example. So in spite of all this persecution um, and the Jews plotting against me in verse 19, I preached the word of God boldly. I preached the word of God fearlessly. Verse 19. Um, in spite of the plots of the Jews, verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul didn't hold back on the teaching thinking, oh, I'm going to offend people, I'm going to tread on toes. Paul proclaimed the whole counsel of God, the whole counsel of God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. From election where God chose us in eternity past to glorification where he will give us a new body when Jesus returns. And why did he do so? Verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I knew this will profit your souls. I knew this is going to help you spiritually. And in the same way, we need to proclaim to people the whole counsel of God. We need to preach the full word of God, everything in scripture, instead of giving them little motivational speeches filled with psychology and human wisdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And where did Paul preach this? Verse 20, end of the verse. In public and from house to house. Remember they had house churches. House groups. And that's a good example. So by preaching uh, publicly, we can reach many at one go. And by meeting in houses, there you start answering individual questions where people have questions that they can't ask in a public gathering necessarily. So you've got this one-to-one -one method or the small group method. What is the message that Paul preached? Verse 21. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Savior of sinners. And to whom did Paul preach this? Verse 21. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. Greeks there is a generic term referring to all non-Jews. So to Jews and to Gentiles. And we need to do the same. And we do so. I believe. We preach here where believers gather, but we also preach at the shelter for the homeless, at mess. We preach where we move as Christians. And our message that we preach is the, both, is, is the same message to both groups, whether it's in the street or whether it's at a worship service. We preach to people, repent and believe the gospel. We preach verse 21, repent toward God and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Leave your life of sin. Leave your self-righteousness. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for sinners. Turn to Him. Why do you keep on putting off? Why always tomorrow? Why not now? Why not today? You remember the story of Mark. I buried Mark about a month ago. And three days before Mark died... Mark said, I want to be born again. I'm going to do it tomorrow at church. I said, no, Mark. 
What if you die tonight? Today is the day of salvation. Now is the favorable time. I spoke to him of Jesus and the good news. I told him, get alone somewhere today, call on the Lord. And three days later, I got the call Marcus did. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the favorable time. And if you do not turn to Christ quickly, then I say to you this morning, as the Apostle Paul said to these elders, I am clean. My hands are clean. I am innocent of the blood of all of you. Your blood is on your own head if you die and go to hell. You can no longer say, I did not know. I have warned you. I have pleaded with you. I have called you to Jesus. I have done this often in this church. So I want to command you in the name of Jesus. I want to say to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest for your soul. Why will you turn away from such a loving Savior? Why will you turn your back on so great a salvation? Do not be foolish. Do not throw away your life for the temporary pleasures of sin. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And you will never be the same again. Why am I so earnest this morning? Why was the Apostle Paul so earnest? It's because he realized he would probably not see these Ephesians again. Verse 25. Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And I myself as a preacher, I don't know how much time I have left. The great Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane died at 29. The American missionary David Brainerd died when he was 29. And so I, I, I would say with Richard Baxter, I preached as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. As a dying man this morning, I proclaim to you the King's message. Acknowledge Him as your King. Bow your knee. Give Him the kiss of loyalty and you will be safe. But if you reject this King, if you rebel against this King, He will shatter you. He will destroy you. And so decide this morning who you will serve. Who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Number four. Paul's determination, verse 22 to 24. Now I know nothing of Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. A friend of mine gave me a copy, just read the first few sentences. So I don't know the book, and I know many people are very positive about the book, and others are negative. Well, whatever your view on it is, I think it's a very good title. That's how Paul's life was. Paul's life was purpose driven. It was really focused. Uh, he says in verse 22, I want to get to Jerusalem. I want to get to Jerusalem. And, and it's as if he says, as if the Spirit is constraining him, the Spirit is driving him. 
and he can do no other. And he knows. He knows he's going to be in trouble. He doesn't know exactly the detail of what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He says so, the end of verse 22. But what he does know is that every city he gets to, the Holy Spirit, when he gets to that city, again, the Holy Spirit warns him, saying, if you get to Jerusalem, you're going to be in trouble. You will be persecuted. You will be thrown in jail. Verse 23. The Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city. What's waiting in Jerusalem? Well, imprisonment and affliction, sufferings. And that's exactly what happens. You just read the rest of the book of Acts. And yet, it doesn't bother Paul. He's even willing to die for the name of Jesus if, if that's what's, what might happen. He says so in Acts 21 verse 13, I'm willing to die. You see, Paul's, the highest priority for the Apostle Paul was not to live in this world. The highest priority was to be faithful to Jesus, to complete his race on earth, and to fulfill the ministry given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that ministry was to preach the gospel of salvation by grace alone to lost men and women. Verse 24, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only... I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What is your purpose in life? What are you aiming at? Is it to make a lot of money? Is it to be successful in business? Is it to be rich when you retire one day? Is it to have a happy family, to tour the world, to earn a doctorate, to... Get married and have kids. What is your goal in life? What is your purpose? And even if you're not a preacher, if Jesus and the gospel is not the center of your life purpose, then your life is in vain. Because whatever purpose you have, is just going to end in nothingness when you die. Unless that purpose is Jesus and the gospel. So why not choose Paul's goal in verse 24? Choose that purpose, that determination. I don't mean, I don't mean you, you have to be a preacher. You need to ask yourself, how has God gifted you? Where has God planted you? What does the Lord want of you? And if you know that, then serve the Lord with all your heart and go for it. Go for it. Go for these things to glorify God. That will honor Him. And you will, you will find fulfillment, even if it means you're polishing floors. Like the story, I don't know, I heard this from someone, I, I don't know what the original source is, but it's, it, it is told that this lady was busy polishing her floors and then Charles Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher in England in the 1800s, he just showed up at her house unexpectedly and unannounced. And, oh, she was very embarrassed. She said, sorry, Pastor, I know I shouldn't be polishing the floor. I know I should really be reading the Bible and praying. He said, no, sister, God has called you to polish your floors at this hour. And that is what you should do. Number five, Paul's watchfulness. That's in verse 28 to 31. And the same Spurgeon I just spoke of, he was watchful. Uh, Spurgeon saw that there's a danger in the Baptist Union in England. He saw that false teaching was coming in. He saw that the, these liberal false teachers started coming in. They started toying with with teachings that go against the word of God, starting to deny the supernatural, saying that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, you know, that kind of stuff. You don't really need to believe that, it doesn't matter, you can believe it, I don't, but we're still brothers. 
And many, many in the Baptist Union, they just brushed it aside, saying, it's nothing, it's not a big deal, Spurgeon, get over it. Um, well, it was a big deal, and Spurgeon knew it. And exactly as Spurgeon predicted, these liberals took over. Well, the Baptist Union sunk. The faithful pastor does not only preach positive messages, he also sees danger coming and he warns the sheep. And that is what Paul did. And that is what Spurgeon did. But here we see this is what Paul did. So for three years, he taught the people day and night. He taught them the word of God. Every one of them, with tears he admonished them. With tears he taught them. With tears he encouraged them. Because he knew wolves are coming. Verse 31. Be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And why? Verse 29 and 30, he knew wolves are coming. False teachers. And now he asks these elders, please do the same. Verse 29, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So he asked them, please, I want you, in the first place, I want you, very importantly, I want you to watch, keep watch over your own relationship with the Lord. Make sure you have a pure heart. Make sure you have a clean conscience. Make sure you live a holy life. Make sure you preach the truth and you preach it purely and passionately and truly. Verse 28. Pay a t careful attention to yourselves. And then also, verse 28, and to all the flock. Not just some, all the flock. Keep watch over them. Like an older pastor once said to me, love all your people. And I mean all your people. So if we want to do that faithfully, we as elders, we need to know who's part of the flock and who's not part of the flock. Who's part of this church and who's not part of this church. And if we know who the sheep are, who God's people are, then we need to watch over them. By teaching them the word, by praying for them, by disciplining them, by comforting them, by protecting them against wolves, against false teachers. And the Holy Spirit has called us as elders. He has called us as pastors, as shepherds. He has called us to watch over the flock, over the church, to be overseers, it says in verse 28. Now, how do you know if the Lord has called you to do this, to be an elder, to be a pastor? Especially since there are many false teachers. How do you know you're a true teacher the Lord has really called you? Well, these things we find from the Bible. Do you have a desire to be a pastor or an elder? One Timothy, and besides, elder, pastor, shepherd, overseer, it's all the same thing, just different terms. Um, do you have a desire? 1 Timothy 3 verse 1. Do you have the gift of teaching? 1 Timothy 3 verse 2, Titus 1 verse 9, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11. Are you a man? Because God has called men to lead the church. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Have you got a God-fearing character? 1 Timothy 3 verse 2 and 3. Have you got a good marriage and a good family life? So your children are obedient. You're teaching them, training them in the ways of the Lord. 1 Timothy 3 verse 4 and 5. Have you walked a long road and a long way with the Lord Jesus? So in other words, you, didn't, you weren't converted last week. 
someone like that cannot, cannot be an elder yet. They need to grow and to become mature Christians. Do you have a good testimony from unbelievers? 1 Timothy 3 verse 7. Do unbelievers look at your life and they say, you know, I don't like Christians, but man, that guy is really faithful and really such a good example. And then do the other elders acknowledge it? 1 Timothy 4 verse 14. Do the other elders say, we see that you have these gifts and these qualities needed to be an elder. And that's very important. That's very important. I think pastors, especially in Baptist circles, pastors, we need to retrain the church. We need to retrain the sheep to tell them that the church does not consist of a single leader. God has called a group of elders that he gives to each congregation, to each church. Verse 28, verse 17. He sent to Ephesus and called the elders, plural, of the church, singular. Many elders per church. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, plural, to care for the church, singular. So you've got many elders per church. There are many verses like that in the Bible. So you cannot have just one elder and say he's taking care of the flock. And he's, he needs to, he needs to care, take care of everyone. No. You have many elders that do that. Oh yes, you, you might have one elder, one pastor who is like the representative of the rest. And he speaks for the rest. But it's still a group that works together. So please, do not speak of the leaders of this church. When you speak of the leaders, don't say, Oh, the pastor and his wife, they're the leaders of the church. But no, they're not. It's the pastor with the other pastors, or the, the teaching elder with the other elders. Don't speak of the leader of this church saying, oh, the pastor, he's the leader. No, it's not a single pastor. It's a group of elders. It's a team of elders, like we see in this passage. And it's they that need to, it's they that need to be watchful and protect the church, protect the flock against wolves from the outside, against these false teachers that even rise from the inside. From within the church, people start getting up and start going astray, and they become false teachers. And Paul knew they were coming. He knew. He knew that they would come, they would twist the Bible, twist the teaching of Scripture, they would mis mislead many people, verse 29 and 30. And that's exactly what happened. You read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, where Paul says to Timothy, you need to fix that thing in Ephesus. These false teachers are coming in. You need to resist them and stand against them, oppose them, teach the truth. Even in the book of Revelation, Revelation 2, verse 1 and 2, you read of the church of Ephesus, and there were false teachers that came in. And we need to expect the same. And we as elders, we should be unafraid. We should be unafraid. We should be bold and confront those false teachers and protect the church against false teachers. We need to protect the flock. How? By doing verse 27, teaching them the whole counsel of God. Training these people well. Training you as members of this church well, saying, we know our Bibles. And we're ready to stand when the false teachers come. And then also as elders, we need to we need to commend the church to God and bring them to God. Every one of them. We need to bring them to God in prayer often. Knowing this church doesn't belong to the elders. It belongs to the Lord. 
Verse 28 says, Jesus, God bought them with his own blood. The Holy Spirit made us, made us elders or overseers to take care of his flock, not our flock. So please do not speak. I've heard some of you pray this. Oh, we pray for Iva's congregation. This is not Iva's congregation. This is not even the elders' congregation as a group. And please do not pray. I've heard this also. Iva as the head of our church. I'm not the head of this church. The elders aren't the head of this church. Jesus and Jesus alone. This church belongs to him. He's the head of this church. And because he's the great shepherd of the sheep, Paul and every other faithful elder, we will be most comfortable to leave this flock in the hands of Jesus. To leave it in his hands by teaching them the word and by praying for them. Verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I commend you to God. You belong to him. It's able to build you up. Verse 32. And give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. So as elders, do not overestimate your own importance. Yes, we should take care of God's flock, of God's people. But in the end, it is Jesus' sheep. It's the Lord's sheep. They belong to Him. And He will let them grow through His word. And He will bring them safely to heaven. Verse 32 again. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Finally, number six, His work ethic. Verse 33 to 35, Paul's work ethic. So a very famous prosperity preacher in South Africa, he's a Malawian guy called Bushiri, or he calls himself Major One. The moment lockdown started, he immediately made a video saying, you must not stop giving your money to me. Give your money to the church. Pay it into the bank account. He even asked someone to help him make an app for cell phones called Major One Connect. And you pay 80 rand a month and you can watch all his sermons. Just making money. True shepherds, true pastors, true elders are not like Bushiri. They are like the Apostle Paul who worked hard. And Paul, even with the money he earned, he didn't just want it all for himself. He wanted to give. He wanted to share. Verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And then he says, In all things I've shown you by working hard in this way we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It brings greater joy. And that's also one way of following the example of Jesus. Jesus gave his life for others. And should we not also give what we have to serve and help others? And really in the end, that's your model leader. That's your model leader. Not Paul, not Augustine, not John Calvin, not Charles Spurgeon, not John MacArthur, or any other spiritual leader. Those are only pictures. They're pictures of the Swiss Alps. Jesus is the Alps. Jesus is the model leader. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, 
I commend these people to the word of your grace. I commend them to you. I commend myself to you, body and soul. We are yours. Do with us as you please. Help us to serve you with humility, with tears, and in spite of all the trials. In Jesus' name, amen.